This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for our it's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, Ron, we've got another full show jam-packed with a lot of information, and we're going to be starting a replay with some of the things where I guess a lot of people need to know about when you're we're in hiring real estate, but we've got a good replay, and who do we have? We've got Jeff Parkins. Jeff is, um, he just helped a good friend of mine, Kim Sledge, find a house. She'd been house hunting for quite some time, and she found, according to her, the perfect property. So... We'll talk a little bit about that. And Kim, as you know, as all of our listeners know, is a legend in the music business. She and her sisters, we are family. Kim is an empty nester, too. And Jeff helped her big time find this house. Jeff is with Keller Williams in Bluebell, PA, which is in Mon- Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. Jeff, welcome to your valuable home. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. All right. How does house hunting today compare to the time when the seller's market wasn't as pronounced? I didn't even know when that was. <laughs> How far back do you have to go? It's a long time. It's been a seller's market since 2017, 2018. Wow. Pre-pandemic. It's a very interesting market. Rates have made things difficult. Mostly the lack of inventory has made things difficult for buyers. It's still a total seller's market. So is that is that going to change anytime soon? I mean, the vibe we're picking up from realtors we're talking to around the country is that it's going to be with us for quite some time. It, it is. And if you've noticed today, the uh, 10-year note, which is what the mortgage interest rates go by, hit a 16-year all-time high. So nothing in the future is going to say that the rates are going to come down anytime soon. And as well as dearth of inventory is going to continue as well. So how does house hunting today happen? Do people get frustrated with it? They do, but they have to stay motivated because there's uh only so many houses to look for, and they need to be aggressive and have patience. Yeah, patience is something a lot of people don't have. I mean, deferred gratification isn't everybody's strong suit today, you know, especially the millennials. That, that's very true. However, uh, they really don't have a choice. There, there has been no change in the market, and if they need to buy a home, then they have to be patient and hopefully have a realtor that'll take the time with them until they find the house that they want. 
Now, let me slip a, another question in here on you. And is the condo or townhouse market in this area any different in terms of the complexion of it than the single home? No, not really. No? Condos bring with them condo fees and other things that a certain type of buyer would like, and then a certain type of buyer wants to send their own single-family home, not being part of an association, not having to listen to rules. But uh, the actual getting a condo versus getting a townhouse is the same. It's still the same intensity because of the items I mentioned before. The seller's market. Total seller's market. Okay. How many houses did you and Kim look at before she said, that's the one I want to buy? A lot. If you want to put it, quantify it to a number. Just off the top of your head. I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. 60 to 70 homes, which is quite unusual. 60 to 70 homes. Okay. I don't think I'd have the staying power for that. I mean, she did, and she's very happy that she hung in there. So I, uh, you know, hats off to her. But She was not in a rush. She was in the driver's seat. She wanted to explore all her options all over Montgomery County. Most people are focused on a particular neighborhood, and she wasn't like that. So fortunately, we saw a large number of houses and ended up the last house we saw was the perfect house for her. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Her house before was about, did you sell that house too? No, I did not. She had another I think that was about, that was around 5,000 square feet or a little bit more. And this one, how big was this one? Uh, this one is almost 3,000 square 3, feet. 3,000. Okay, so it's it's much more manageable for her. Much more manageable. Okay. And I think you see a lot of people wanting you know, wanting to shed themselves from uh, all that work and everything. I know uh, Rosemary did, my significant other. She yeah, downsizing is a 5, 000, great idea. 5,000 square foot house, and she's now in a... A one-bedroom apartment, but it's really a cool. It is. I like a cool setup. Yeah, yeah. Downsizing is one of the major reasons why people will sell their homes today. Yeah, I would. I would imagine it would be. So some people just get tired of this process today, and they just give up. Not really. Most people are looking to purchase a house because they have a reason: job relocation, they're upsizing, they're downsizing, going through a divorce. So most of the time, there's a specific reason that they have to move because. Again, if they own a home now, uh, unless you need to sell it, the problem with the sellers is they don't have a good plan B, what they're doing afterwards, because 80% of the homeowners today have a mortgage under 4% interest rate. So now they're going to have to trade it for close to 7.5% interest rate. So that's why there's no inventory. Yeah, to tell you the truth, there's no way. I have a 2.625. There's no way I would move from my house. You have free money on your house. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I love my house, too. I mean, I live in an HOA uh, community, but it's almost like living at a resort because we have an indoor pool, outdoor pool, bocce courts, tennis courts, the whole the whole nine yards. And and it's in a nice location. I can get to New York and get to Philly and get down the shore very, very quickly from where I live. So I love it. Unless you needed to pull out equity or whatever reason you needed to relocate, you're staying where you are with that mortgage rate. Oh, yeah. There's no way. I, it, would, it wouldn't make any sense for me to do it. Do inflation and high interest rates make uh, residential market, is it, is it more complicated with this situation we've got going on now? You're going to have to have great credit. You're going to have to really know that you're going to have to overpay, most likely if you want to get into a house. So uh, it is more difficult, yes. So how much of this seller's market is really created by people like me who are not going to move because they have low interest rates? 
Is that a big part of it? It's a huge part of it. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. As I mentioned before, unless you have a specific need to sell and a really good plan B, if you own another property already, a second home that you also have at a low interest rate, then that's a great way to sell because home prices are all-time highs. So if you have a great plan B where you're not going to get hurt by the new interest rates, it's the best time ever to sell. Best time ever to sell. Yeah. Okay. So that's how you would advise somebody that may be on the fence with about selling, correct? Yes, absolutely. If they have a great, uh, again, like I said, a strong plan B, know where they're going, have enough money to either absorb the new interest rates, but the interest rates won't be here forever. So, you know, people buying today know that they're going to purchase their home today and refinance in two or three years at the lower rates. So they're not going to keep that monthly payment forever. What do you say today to somebody who is very particular? Kim had the patience and she had the time to look, but very particular about, I want this type of house in this community, right? And maybe pick the street too. Is that is that even possible today? Well, if you have a patient realtor, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Most realtors, you know, after, I can't say the number, 10 or 15 houses would definitely have a sit down with their client and say, you know, try to really, really narrow what they're looking for and where they're looking for, uh, and then try to reevaluate and go after it. But uh, as I said, Kim was not in a rush, and she had to have the perfect family house that she knew it would be when she walked into it. What's your best advice today? We've got to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. What's your best advice today to a young couple? And I think this is probably hardest on them, you know, who are looking for their first house. What's your best advice to them? Maybe wait if they could. It's very hard. That's the one segment of the buyer's market that's really getting hit, the first-time home buyers, because of this initial interest rate and because of the competitiveness of multiple offer situations with most houses. So I would say if you could wait until uh, those rates came down in two, three years and have a little more inventory or else – have some help. Uh, get a co-signer for your mortgage, a parent, a friend, a family member that could help knowing that in two or three years you're going to refi and not have that heavy payment. Is looking for an affordable piece of property and building a viable option for them? Because if they got to wait like two or three years you know, to buy a used house, so to speak, I mean, you spend the time building a house. Does it make sense? Depends what their wallet is. Uh, new construction, there's not a whole lot of ground, so there's not a lot of new construction. The Tall Brothers have high-end homes. McGrath Builders have homes in six, 700000 range. But there's not a lot of new developments, and they get grabbed up even faster than the resale homes because uh, a lot of people do want new homes, and they're just uh, not a lot of them around either, not a lot of new developments. There's just no land in Bucks and Montgomery County for the developers to, to build on. Yeah, Montgomery County, I think Bucks is, well, Bucks probably isn't as, it's not as acute as it would be in Montgomery County. Because we have, if you go further out in Bucks County, there's a lot of North. land out there. A lot of land out there. There is a lot of land, but it's it's old family money land, and it's expensive. That's why it's sitting there, and the builders haven't bought it up yet. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Very interesting point. So what's your best advice to people to cope with this market? Not just young people, but people generally. Stay focused. Have a great realtor who's sold a lot of homes, who has participated in previous multiple offer situations, knowing that, that with the help of that realtor, you'll win 
the offer. Don't get discouraged. Your Most buyers lose two or three offers before they win the house that they're going to live in. So stay with it, stay persistent, and be quick about it. it. Don't take too long to make a decision because there's 10 other people making the decision on the same house. Yeah, I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen. Jeff, Jeff Parkins, thank you very, very much for your insight, and uh, thanks for helping Kim find the place that uh, she loves. Absolutely. She she is a great person, great human being, um, a model, role model for all, and it was an honor to take care of her. Yeah, yeah. she's a ditto. I we would love say, her here. I would say, yeah, we love her. So take care, Jeff. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for the opportunity, Ron. All right. Yeah, we'll bye-bye. Bye-bye. What are the latest scams and shakedowns? Let's find out with Ron and Kevin. It's the Bad Guy Bulletin. Okay, Ron, it is time for the horror story. And again, favorite time of the month, Bad Guy Bulletin. The Bad Guy Bulletin. Okay. Well, I've got one bad guy, but I got a good guy too this this week. It's really good stuff. Okay, very unusual. <laughs> Let me tell the good guy thing first. You know, we uh, the last time we did this, we complained about customer service, customer disservice, the, the customer dis- <laughs> yeah. the cost of customer service right. being passed on to the customer. Yep. And I've experienced that in space over the last couple of weeks. Okay, I won't I won't bore everybody with that again. But here's a great customer service story. Okay, as you know. We just placed a press release on EIN Presswire about the series that we did with the Department of Energy for mm-hmm. four-part series. And listeners, if you haven't heard that, just go back and listen to it. There's a lot of really good information in there, and it's ways of providing energy to this country that are coming down the pike, and they'll be here not not too distant future, okay? I had a question about the press release, right? So I called at like 6.15 in the morning, right? And they're closed. And I get a call back in about five minutes from a number in England. I knew it as a a number in England, right? And I have this woman on the phone, and I said, "You're you're not British. She says, no, I'm in Rome. I said, you're in Rome, and you're calling me back at this hour? Because in Rome, it was like probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So that just goes to show you that good customer service is possible. Then I got one of the head people on from EIN Presswire. And I said, this experience I had this morning was absolutely phenomenal. Somebody called me back from Rome to answer the questions that I had because I wanted to get this thing posted and do it and and just time it so it would go out today, right? And he says, yeah, we only have four customer service people. Well, how the heck do they do this? And you have big companies who can't handle customer service well, right? Because they're not a huge company. Go figure. Yeah, you got me on that one. I'm still going through that whole thing. You know what's funny? You and I have been talking about how – you always get these emails and you, but here's the thing. It's, it's trickling down to me because I, I just out of the blue, I, I went to my spam and my email and I just saw thousands. I'm like, Oh, I guess like I am getting them. I guess my uh, security's working pretty good, but I started reading it. Uh, you owe money. Uh, your account's going to be delinquent. I don't even know who these people are. I don't have account. I don't have accounts with anybody. I only deal with people local anyway. I don't shop online and I'm going, how am I? Okay. More and more just over the past month and a half, what I'm getting. People are calling up and say, hey, listen, uh, saw you do work here, and they'll leave a message. Your account is delinquent, but we can find out because I'm looking at your account right now, and I think I've got ways that can help you out. Give me a call back so we can talk about it. Oh, yeah, so you were right on the phone, right? I got on the phone with one of them, and I said, so you saw my – so I played it back to him. He's like I, – I said, so basically it's a sales pitch just to have somebody call you back. So you you were looking at my account. Number one, give me my account number. 
Well, what we're looking at is I, it's at my department. I'm like, well, do you want my driver's license or social security? Which like, which one do you want now? So I can just give that to you and we can just end this conversation. I could just see it show up. Well, uh, and they just hung up. They go through extreme lengths to get to you, to get you on the phone. Oh, you know, I think I got a million dollars here, but if you want it, you got to give me a call back. That's some of the stuff that they're doing is just, it's nuts. Then when you question them on it, well, that's not our department. But they just want to get you on the phone, try to sell you something, try to extract we some information why. out of you. And, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll relate an experience I had about a week ago, too. But before that, I'm going to mention something about AI. I don't think AI is a particularly great technology to you know, come into the marketplace because stop and think about it, right? You could be responding to somebody you think you know, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a an AI-created character, Right. Because somebody was able to model this person's face or whatever, right? Could be somebody asking for money. Could be some, Kevin, meet me someplace tonight, right? And yeah. you're talking to this. Maybe at the police department, and then we'll talk about it a little <laughs> exactly. bit more. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good thing at all. I mean, I, I think a lot of bad is going to come out of it. I think, I think the bad is really raising its ugly head already. Well, it's, we've seen it over the past couple of years. Now they're going to advance it even further with AI. How bad is it really going oh, to get? Oh, it's going to get horrible. The bad it's guys are always 10 steps ahead the of the bad guys, guys anyway. The bad guys are licking their chops right now. Oh, wow, we got AI coming down. Now we can do this, that, and other things. And, and, and it's going to, it's definitely going to happen. People are going to be so confused by this, right? Right. Political candidates, if you see AI political candidates up there saying, the guy says, don't vote for me, vote for the other yeah. guy. Yeah, right? my name is that guy. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, see, I like, technology is great until it's not. Bottom line is because when you have problems that, with yeah, it. Yeah, that's a favorite line of mine. I, I, it, and right. it's true. Yeah. It's true. And I'm not a, a technology expert, but I don't really go online. I don't like I don't like doing anything online. I, if I like, I'm still the old fashioned. If I want to buy something, I, I'd rather go to the store. I still write checks out. I don't like doing online banking. I don't like doing any of that stuff. Well, I do it to a certain extent, but not, not like other people do. I'll, I'll tell you another thing that happened to me last week or so, right? You know, we, we had a lot of redos and stuff like that in the show, and I'm going nuts, you know, trying to get everything done, right? This thing comes on, on, on my computer screen, and it says, your computer is frozen. It's frozen, okay? So then there's a number there, right? So I call the number, get somebody, I think it was in, in India again, she says, oh, your computer must be frozen. I said, oh, I'll bet you know why, too, right? <laughs> And I said, and I'll bet you can help me. She says, yes, we can. I said, are you Apple? She says, well, we work with Apple products. I said, that's not the question I ask you. Are you Apple? Click. Yeah. Right? So I called Apple back, and and the Apple people, they know. They know this is all going on. She says, oh, it's another scammer, okay? So she said, do this, this, and this, and your computer will be fine. Because they do. They do lock up the computer, okay? But if you shut it down a certain way, and you hold the button down for a long period of time, it clears everything up. So I did that, and, you know, it was a bad story with a happy ending, okay? Oh, that's good. But it's just, I mean, to put up with this stuff all the time drives you crazy. Well, my last bad guy bulletin, which I'm just going to briefly go on because it's we're still at the point where we're not officially worked everything out yet. But one of the things I've seen over years as being a contractor's HVAC guys, mechanical guys, heating and air conditioning. And I'm having a little bit of a situation where nobody wants to take responsibility for something they just don't want to do. So if you have a mechanical guy come out and you tell him, hey, listen, here's who I am. This is what I do for a living. And here's what the problem is. So I want you just to fix this problem. Send me the bill and I'll pay it. And I did that. Well, I've been having so many problems with it. Every week we have a problem because every time they send people out, 
they're not doing what we're expecting to fix the unit. I already know what the problem is. So they just keep putting uh, 410A, which is Freon, the old Freon or the new Freons, 410A, just trying to mask it, saying, hey, it works for a couple of days. And uh, how many times do you got to keep doing this? Like, I'm going to pay up to $100,000 every week to get all this done. But it's getting to the point where, and I just want to have a conversation with them. I'm going to ask them to have them come on the air at this point, because I'm not happy, because I already got a bill of $1,300 already just to stick Freon in every time they come out, because they don't want to fix the problem. So we're still working on it. Yeah, have I'm, them come on and explain why. Right. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to pass judgment on somebody. It's that if if somebody knows what they're doing and say, hey, could you do your job? That's simple, right? Hey, I got a problem. Fix it. Here's your problem to fix it. And then bill me and I'll pay. And I did it. If you don't do your job and you just keep billing me on different stuff, hey, you know what? Your engine's leaking oil, but I fixed your back tailgate, so that really solved the problem. Like, what? what, what? I've, I've had this happen to me, and I'm sure a lot of people have had it happen. If an HVA guy, no matter what, keeps filling up Freon in your unit, and every week you've got to keep filling it up, they're not doing their job. Because I said to him when I, got, when I went into his office, I said, you know, the EPA doesn't like you just throwing this stuff out in the air. I said, it's usually 10% of the unit, so if you have a five pounds in there, it's like half a pound. A Freon's the most that the EPA wants to go in. You put nine and a half pounds in a couple of weeks into the atmosphere. You know how good that is for our atmosphere? He knew I knew what I was talking about at this point. He got quiet. I said, well, listen, you figure out what you want me to do. If you want me to pay this bill and get ripped off, I'm going to go on my end and tell, because I have all the paperwork, what you did and you didn't do. So you tell me what you want to do. So if you're having a mechanical guy and he keeps just putting Freon and just masking the situation, Number one, they're not fixing a situation. So be very cautious about companies that do that because it's just a great way for these HVAC companies to make money off of you. And it's not the cause or the root. It's got to be fixed from the problem. And if they're not going to do it, you're going to be wasting a lot of money. Yeah, I know. We've all been through that. I went through something with my dryer before I got a new dryer, right? Had these guys out four times, right? I Because I have the, the warranty. The insurance for warranty. Insurance, yeah. Good luck with that, right? So four times, right? And it was taking like 80 minutes to dry clothes. So the final time, after they fixed it, it was it was down to about 65 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I said to the guy, I said, there's no way. I mean, take 65 minutes. He says, well, you're probably putting too much in there. I said, man, I'm doing the same thing I've been doing for the last 15 years, putting the same amount of clothes in. There's something wrong with the dryers. And I called the warranty, the warranty people, company's right? up, yep. And I said, look, I just spent $400 four times, $100 a pop, $400 to not have my dryer fixed, right? And I said, either you pay for a new dryer or I'm canceling your service on three properties I have. So you got maybe 30 seconds to think about that. And I would have canceled it. Too. Yeah, shakedown. You know what they did? They paid for the dryer. Yeah. Well, if, if they shake you down long enough and hard enough that you're just going to be so frustrated, you, that's what they're thinking you're going to go away. No, forget that. Hey, not, right. not happening with me. No. I mean, I've seen it with a lot of the problems, but I'll keep everybody posted on my end. I might try to get him on if he wants to come on. I mean, like I said, we're not here to badmouth people. We just want to expose it so our listeners can understand if it's going to happen to you, they know what to look for. Because a lot of people don't know what to look for. Yeah, and if you notice, we never mention the name of a company or whatever. Got it. Uh, it's not necessary. Mentioning the act is more important than mentioning the name. Correct. Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl and polypropylene siding. 
Yep, the Super Polymer formulation of Proviasiding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Proviasiding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of real wood. People often stop and ask me about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Okay, so how about colors and styles? My customers love the extensive palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues. New colors for 2023 include Miss Gray, Harvest Red, and Pine. And Provia offers a wide variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and new Harbor Mill shingle and shake siding. Harbor Mill is reminiscent of traditional rough sawn shingle and staggered hand-split cedar shake. Both profiles are modeled after genuine cedar pieces using highly accurate laser scanning to ensure all the detail and texture of real cedar wood grain. Harbor Mill siding was designed with the installer in mind, incorporating built-in features that aid in a more efficient, hassle-free installation. The lightweight rigid panels are easier to handle and include locks, guides, and marks for the installer. That makes for a quicker installation and beautiful curb appeal. Yup, and you can see it all and have the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, provia.com backslash YVH. Check out Provia's design center on the website and experiment with their exterior home visualizer to see how all the different styles, colors of Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and roofing work together. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission to serve by caring for details in ways others won't. Visualize the possibilities at Provia.com backslash YVH. Okay, Ron, continuing with the feature segment of the Real Estate Roundup. I believe we're in Tennessee. And we are moving right along to Tennessee. This is Real Estate Roundup 2023, Kevin. But it wouldn't be complete without a visit from... Your valuable home friend and contributor, Scott Abernathy, for the the insight into the market for residential investment properties, wherever they're located, right? Because he knows that market cold. Very well. And for his take on what's happening generally with the Tennessee housing market. For our listeners just becoming acquainted with Scott, he's a recent past president of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, and NARPM it's called, and head of his own property management company, PMI Professionals, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Scott knows residential investment properties inside and out. Scott, welcome back to your valuable home. Hey, good to be here. Well, looking back on the first half of 2023 and the second half of 2022, was that a good time for residential landlords? It was a confusing time for residential landlords. You know, 2022, we saw this rent just skyrocket. Um, 21 and 22 are just incredible for profits uh, for landlords. And you're seeing that across the country, not just my market, but across the country. Where, But then 2023 rolls around and everything starts to slow down a little bit. Interest rates start coming up. Everything starts to, to slow down. And I got to say, now I'm not, I'm not sure when we're broadcasting this, but it's October right now. And it's really slow right now. But don't panic. It's always slow. October, November is always slow. We just we've got to get through it to get to January. Okay. Has the seller's market and residential real estate, which seemed to be spread throughout most of the United States, posed a challenge for residential investors who are in a buying mode now? It has. I mean, with interest rates being as high as they are, you know, I'm not sure where you are, but where we're at to get a you know, a portfolio loan from a bank, even if you can find one. I mean, you're looking at paying 8% or more, which is not necessarily bad. It's actually more going back to normal. But after 15 years of basically free money, 
It's hard to swallow that. So it's made it difficult to make things cash flow if you're buying, if you're acquiring property. If you've been a landlord for a while, though, you're enjoying the profits from the increases in the rents that we've had over the last 18 months or so. Uh, but trying to get into it now to make cash flow is very difficult, a lot more difficult than it used to be. Yeah, I, I know I know what you're talking about. And I've got one property that's like that, which I'm having problems with in Philadelphia. I think we talked about that before. But the other one in Doylestown is doing pretty well right now. Yeah, I think it is market specific. I agree with you. I have a friend of mine who is investing in Evansville, Indiana. Over the last couple of years, he's bought a handful of houses up there that are cash flowing for him. Uh, you know, there's a big difference in the market, though. Evansville, Indiana, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of appreciation. But Nashville, Tennessee, you're going to get a lot of appreciation. And, Ron, let me tell you, that's where the wealth is built in real estate is the appreciation. Oh, not no the question about it. No question about it. I thought I was buying into Philadelphia for the appreciation, and I bought into a nightmare scenario with the, with the guy who built the place. Ouch. Myself and 36 people. Nine units to a building, four buildings. It's just you would not believe what's going on there. I've always said you've not you're not a true real estate investor until you've taken a beating at least once. Well, I guess I, this I guess this is mine. I had Mike Tyson and, beat me up three years ago. Yeah, and Kevin <laughs> Kevin's had one too. Kevin's had one too. Oh boy. But you know, you gotta take the goo with a bad, right? I say as long as you win more than you lose, you're doing well. Yeah, I agree with you. Is now going into 2024 a good time to buy, is it? Well, I'm going to be very cliche here with you. I'm really sorry about this because I know most of your audience has heard this before. But the best time to buy real estate was 30 years ago. The second best time is right now. Uh, I wrote a book called Kingpin Landlord, and i got a friend of mine that teases me all the time. It's, a, it's about making more money with the rental properties you have. And he teases me all the time saying, oh, well, yeah, your suggestion is buy houses in the 90s. That's how you make money. Well, he's not wrong, but the reality is if you hold on to real estate long enough, you're going to make money on it. I don't think there is a bad time to buy. There's not, there's no way to, to gauge the market. I know a ton of real estate investors who have been sitting on cash for the last six, seven years because this fictitious bubble was going to pop at any minute. I mean, even interest rates have not popped this bubble. So I'm not real sure it's going to. And even if it does, sit on it long enough, you'll be just fine. Okay. Is there a good time to sell? Well, the challenge with selling is it brings on a lot of tax consequences. Uh, let's just say you have a half million dollar piece of property and you sell it and you walk away with 300,000. This piece of property was spitting off, you know, $1,500 a month for you. Let's make that example. Where else are you going to get $1,500 a month in, on $300,000 cash flow? Not including the appreciation. You're not. Just not a good place to put money other than real estate. However, if you're in retirement mode, you want to get some chips off the table. Yeah, there's not been a better time to do that. Banks are giving a good bang for the buck now. But when you stop and think about some of the bank failures that happened earlier this year, you say to yourself, OK, fine, if I can get five or six percent in a bank, but as my money safe. And the answer is maybe it is. Maybe it's not. You know what I'm saying? FDIC insurance only goes to 250. Yep. 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 Okay, with interest rates that could peak even higher than they are today, and it's possible, right? Can residential sure. landlords who must finance some of the purchase price factor in the higher cost of a mortgage? Well, whether they can or not is irrelevant. They're going to have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, you're, and, and I'm not sure interest rates have finished, although given the massive political and economic things that have happened over the last well few days, actually, we may have seen an end to it. But we're really going back to normal. I was presented a chart of interest rates over the last 5,000 years, and 
we are just now getting back to a normal uh, uh, interest rate where it should be. You saw some spikes. You know, you guys have always heard of the, the old investors talk about the 80s. My first rental property, I bought at 12% interest in 1989. So and we've all been there and done there. A lot of us have anyway. The fictitious money that we've been having, this this free money, was not the real world. We just had it for so long we got used to it. We're going to have to get accustomed to these interest rates because I believe we're going back to normal. We're not too high. We're just going back to normal. Now, the challenge with that is prices of the properties we're buying, those are not normal. Now we've got high prices and high interest rates, and that does not make a very good mixture. No, I, I agree with you. I, I feel the same thing myself. And I don't think I don't think the price of houses is going down anytime soon either, is it? Not with the supply the way it is. Nope. I, I've been hearing a new phrase in real estate called being trapped in a mortgage. And I'm seeing more and more of it also. Lawrence Hume of the National Association of Realtors, he's the chief economist, said that more than 10% of people that are moving up in houses are keeping their uh, former residence as a rental property now. That number should be less than 1%. So it's a huge difference on what's going on in the market. And all that just shrinks the market that much more. Uh, the higher the interest rates go, the less uh, supply there is. I don't see prices coming down. I really don't. Well, I'll tell you something. You hit a chord there that, that resounds with me because if I were had to move out of my house, okay, I'm getting older now. There's no way. There's no way I'm selling my house. Oh, yeah, my not house, a chance. I, no. I'll, I'll be, it'll, it'll be a rental, rental property at that point. My son bought his first rental property uh, about two and a half years ago, I guess it was. And, of course, he was 25 years old at the time. So, Dad, me, I had to co-sign for him. You got a 30-year fixed rate at 2.85%. Well, guess what? I'm going to be stuck with that for the next 27 years because he's never going to pay that mortgage off. (laughs) (laughs) Smart kid, right? I would not ever pay that mortgage off either. That's free money, basically. Absolutely. I I got a 2.625. That's a a refi, 2.625. And I think about it every day when I get up, you know? Yeah. I would never pay that off. Absolutely. Now, where it could be valuable is if it's assumable. And, and that's something where investors need to be really looking at is finding these properties with assumable loans. Now, the challenge with it is all these low interest rates are now two years old or more, maybe two and a half years old. And there's been so much inflation in real estate. There's a bunch of equity we got to come up with to buy the property and keep the assumable mortgage. If I need to explain that more, I'll be happy to. No, I, I got it. You got, yeah, it, Ken? I got it. Yeah, yeah I oh, think yeah. everybody understands that. Yep. How many How many would be assumable? We'll just take a wild guess at it. Well, any FHA loan, which is a large percentage of mortgages in this country, but any FHA loan is a qualifying assumable. And same with your VA loans also. Those are qualifying assumable. So there will be a lot of them. And a lot of your conventional loans will be qualifying assumable. Now, for those old folks like me, Back in the day of non-qualifying, those don't exist anymore. There are no such thing as non-qualifying assumables anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the qualifying assumables are still out there. Of course, it's also the subject to, which has its own issues. Like That's probably a subject for another day. Hmm. For those who bought in the days of interest rates in the range of, like, like what I'm putting, the mid-twos, mid-threes, mid-twos are like, that's super. It's got to give them an edge in today's, uh, in today's rental market, right? Absolutely does. Okay. Given the fact they've built so much equity in those two to three years and rents have come up so much, which we need to be prepared as landlords, by the way, rents are not going to keep increasing. As a matter of fact, we may see some 
some decreasing in rent. So I'm not, don't panic. Not big, but I just think we wages have not kept up with where rents and house values have gone. And there's only so far you can go. There's only so much blood you can squeeze out of a tournament. Right. Well, I'm a little bit annoyed by by uh, the rent situation because my situation in Philadelphia is we got a big problem with the building. I've given my, my tenants are very they're they're wonderful people, okay, but I had to give them a break because of yes. you know, the situation of the building. So I haven't been getting the kind of rent that I should be getting in Philadelphia for, jeez, four years now. Ouch! This thing has been going on for a long time, long time. It's like a tooth extraction. It's like having all your teeth pulled at the same time. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, Scott, do you think Ron should be able to or sell that property and maybe roll that into something where he can gain off another property? How many units is that property? Well, there are nine units in the property. I have one unit. It's a two-bed, two-bath. The challenge with trying to sell that is you're selling a cash flow. When you've got a property like that that's not like a single family or a duplex that you're really selling based on what other properties have sold around it for. Exactly. What you're selling is to another investor, and that investor is going to be looking to see what it's worth based on how much money it makes. Right. So my opinion, what Ron needs to do is get this making money and then sell it. But he's got to get that turnaround done first. If he doesn't do the turnaround first, then he's going to discount it for somebody else to do the turnaround. Well, you're absolutely right. And we're waiting to we got a uh, we got a uh, trial date of March of next year, 2024. This has been going. That'll be our that'll be our sixth year. And we're asking for a pretty good chunk of money to fix the place. It's it's got to be reskinned. The whole building's got to be reskinned. Wow. And the flat roof's got to be redone. So no. it's not it's not it's not chump change, you know? No, not at all. So mm-hmm. I'm keeping my fingers crossed about this. In one respect, thank God I don't have a mortgage because I paid cash for it. But <laughs> that's not that's not good either, you know? No. You got that cash sitting in one place. Gotcha. And, and stuck, stuck with it. Yeah. So And not generating any revenue. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. I mean, I'm still making some money on the rent, and, and and they deserve the break because they're putting up with this, too. So I, you know, I'm doing the best I can with it right now. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing the best you can. Yeah, right. Yeah. Given this current market, can you offer some advice for those who are just now becoming residential, just starting to become residential investors, as well as those who have one or two properties and would like to acquire more? What's the best advice you can give them, those two groups of people? Sure. My best advice I would give them is be wary of the advice you're hearing. Not necessarily my advice, although maybe you can be wary of mine as well. But I'm seeing in the in the industry at large, in the real estate investment industry at large, you're seeing a different tune being sung, and that tune is going from cash flow to appreciation. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen that song sung before. Uh, I remember back in the uh, you know early 2000s when we had all these investors getting interest only loans, banking on appreciation to get them out whenever they had their their balloons came due in five years, and their balloons were coming due in 2009. Well, let me tell you, it was not the music was over by then, and you're seeing lots of foreclosures and this, that and the other. In my opinion, if you are banking only on appreciation, you're speculating. You're not investing. You're speculating. You're speculating. Yep. Yep. So somehow. You've got to figure out a way to make a property cash flow. And any property can cash flow. You just got to put enough money into it. Okay. Yeah. The funny thing is I bought – I have one property in a suburban area outside Philadelphia, which I bought largely for the the rental income, okay, and maybe some appreciation. Philadelphia, I bought for rental income and a lot of appreciation, and it just turned out I'm in the opposite direction. The (laughs) suburban property is doing better than the Philadelphia property because of the guy who built it. And what he what he what he didn't do. 
But don't get me wrong. I like appreciation. That, Like I told you before, that's where wealth is built. That's where you make a generational change to your family is an appreciation and amortization. But it doesn't work if it doesn't cash flow. Yeah, I agree with you 120%. Absolutely. Okay, let's see. We're going to get into uh, – we're coming up on what the market generally in Tennessee is all about. So what are some of the rental markets around the country that are worth a look right now? Yeah, sure. Now, there's a, again, there's a lot of things you need to look at. I mentioned to you my friend that's buying properties in Evansville, Indiana, and he's doing really well with it. And he's going to get good cash flow, but, I mean, you get a couple hundred dollars a month on each property. That's good. Don't get me wrong, but you're not getting rich off a couple hundred dollars a month. I think you need to look at areas that are appreciating and put enough into them to where that you can get that couple hundred dollars a month and the appreciation. Mm-hmm. And those areas would be like Nashville or uh, Huntsville is another good one as well. A lot of your Midwest stuff is, is looking pretty good these days to be able to have a nice combination. You know, California, in my opinion, anything on the West Coast is a speculation. You just got no idea what's going to happen out there. It could be up one day, down the next. Same with the places like Vegas and Florida. Florida, you have an awful lot of, of you know weather issues you got to deal with and insurance problems. So these, these are the kind of things you got to look at. I, I, I kind of like up where you guys are. I would think that uh, Philadelphia would be a good market for the balance of cash flow and appreciation. But based on what you were just telling me, I may be wrong. Well, you know, Philadelphia is a, a weird animal right now. Kevin had a place there, got killed on it, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a place there, and I'm getting killed because of the guy who built the built place. Built it wrong, yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that's happening in Philly, because there's so many young people in Philly, it's a town like Austin or probably Nashville. Nashville a lot, of, a lot of young people. There are people there, like uh, we interviewed a guy, his name is Leo Adamondo, who builds to rent. He's got 2,000 rental units in Philadelphia. So the the market in Philadelphia is choking on rental units, which is another thing that's scaring me. Because if you've got a beat-up rental unit and you've got a lot of new rental units, you've got a problem, you know? So it's a a weird market. A lot of gentrification going on, and it's happening all over the city. Absolutely all over the city. You go down, there's a new building like every week, Mm it seems like. There's There's a development along the Delaware River. must have, I don't know, 500 units on it? There's a bunch of them. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So it's it's a weird market right now, I think. I might get into – well, I would focus on the tax-free states um, if, if you're really looking for a focus, not, you know, like Tennessee. But maybe not the major markets. Look at Knoxville and Chattanooga. I don't know about Memphis. Memphis can be pretty rough, and we do a lot of business in Memphis. It's, it's another one of those cities you can get good cash flow, but you're going to have limited appreciation. But maybe Jackson, uh, that's another city in Tennessee. Or Texas. I like San Antonio. You mentioned Austin a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And Nevada, another tax-free state. I don't know about Las Vegas. You've got too many ups and downs in Las Vegas. But maybe outside of that, like Henderson in the suburbs or mm-hmm. something like that. How about Delaware? Well, I don't have enough experience about Delaware. I was going to say Florida inland. I don't know that I'd get in the coast. I'd get into smaller, less urban areas. You don't want to go too small. You don't want to get to like Ocala where there's only two horses in the town. But Gainesville <laughs> might be a might be a good good option. Or Tallahassee, you know, something like that. Yeah, one time I thought I wanted to buy a place along the coast in Florida, but with, with the way that it's gotten beat up over the, over the last years. couple of years, uh, forget that. And the insurance rates and, and the fact and, that you can't get insurance in Florida. Yeah, insurance is very hard to get. I, I know a lot of folks, and they're usually pretty wealthy, that when they buy stuff on the coast, they self-insure it. And that's a big risk. I mean, you're going to spend at least a million bucks on the coast, and you're going to self-insure a million dollars. That's a big risk, but they're willing to take it. 
Well, before we get into what the general market is doing in Tennessee, I want I want you to run through that because you probably know that like the back of your hand too. Sure. Your book, Kingpin Landlord. How do our readers get their hands on it? Sure, it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and it's a good little piece of material. It's a narrative. It's got eight narrative stories in it, so it's not boring. Pretty quick and easy read. Uh, it's got eight landlords that get into some kind of trouble and how they got out of it, and then bullet points on how to keep you from getting into that kind of trouble also. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll vouch for that. I've read it. I got a copy. Yeah, I've read you. it. It's, it's fantastic. Really, really. Thanks. And very simple to understand, too, you know, if you're new to real estate. I'm a simple guy. <laughs> real, real estate is not rocket science, and, and I have an aerospace degree, so I know that. <laughs> okay. All right. Now let's let's put on your general real estate hat now in relation to Tennessee. What are your thoughts on the overall real estate market in Tennessee? A number of realtors we've talked to this year for the real estate roundup are telling us that they're still dealing with a, a tight seller's market without any change in sight. What's the experience in Tennessee? I would agree with that, especially with your typical rental type properties. Now, and, and I'm very connected to the real estate market in Tennessee. As a matter of fact, I'm currently the president of the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors. Uh-huh. We are seeing softening in the higher price ranges, and that higher price range is going to vary depending on the market you're in. Uh, I'm in a community called Murfreesboro, which is a suburb of Nashville, just southeast. Our higher price range would be 600 and up. That's getting really soft. That's not typically the single-family property that a landlord is going to be purchasing. What a landlord's buying is between, in this market, three to $600,000. Mm-hmm. That market is good. It's good and solid. I mean, it's hard to find anything available. When you do find it, many times you still have multiple offers. I mean, we're in the typical fall doldrums, just like everywhere else. I mean, October, November, just I always think the world is ending every October and November. Uh, but we'll be back come December and January, and then spring, it'll be hot again. Okay. Have inflation and the increase in interest rates, which I don't think they're, I don't think they're over yet, put a damper on the market in Tennessee? It has. We're not seeing nearly as many transactions. We're not, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of the transactions that we saw in the in years past. So it's a lot fewer transactions. However, it's that supply issue. We just don't have enough supply, and that's what keeps the prices propped up. If if we had more properties on the market, you would see properties come down. But I don't see that happening given what the economic environment we're in. So prices still rise in a lot of places. I would imagine in Nashville, especially, that place is really rocking. Nashville is definitely rocking, and there is really no such thing as distressed properties anymore. Uh, the reality is if you find a distressed property, something's in bad shape or, you know, an heir that's got a house they don't really want, you know, there's 10 flippers standing in line for it and, and 2,000 agents. And they can get, get them out of that house for top dollar tomorrow. So distressed properties are really hard to come by. And don't get me wrong. I know a lot of house flippers, a lot of real estate investors that are still turning over rocks and finding stuff. They're just having to turn a lot more rocks over. Hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the that seems to be the general consensus among everybody that we talk to. With then there's one exception. I'll mention that to you in a second. And he comes on the week after your show releases here. Do you have a situation there with buyers throwing in a lot of cash still to make bids well above asking? Not seeing bids well above asking, but we are still seeing a lot of cash transactions, more than what we are usually have. When when I say that, I mean I'm sure you guys know during COVID and up until now, we've seen a lot more cash transactions than we did, say, before COVID. But we're still high in the cash transaction department as opposed to loans and mortgages. 
Hmm, how about that? Okay. Kevin and I were in uh, Nashville for a podcast conference. What was it two years ago, Kevin? Two years ago, yeah. Two years close. ago. Okay. And the place seems like it's got it's got its own heartbeat, that place. It's just when you walk down the street, you can't tell which genre of music you're listening to because it's every genre of music is playing at the same time, seven right? Seven days a week, too. A couple, seven days a week, yeah. Anybody say yee-haw to you? <laughs> well, you don't actually say that, just so you know. <laughs> what is it? What is it? i got to remember that. Yee-haw. 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 We don't actually say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is Nashville still rocking? Is that still the case? It is. Its real estate market is absolutely amazing. Uh, if you are looking to buy short-term rentals, though, the STR market has been struggling quite a bit. Uh, so I'm not sure it's the best place for STRs right now. Uh-huh. Uh, but as far as long-term rentals or mid-term rentals, yeah, it, it absolutely is rocking. Yeah, we were in the STR market. We mm-hmm. stayed in a VRBO yep. in, in yep. Nashville. Remember that? Yeah. So that's probably it's probably because it's saturated, isn't it? I, that's what I believe as well. I have friends of mine that have STRs in Nashville, and we manage a few STRs also. We have pretty much turned all our STRs into mid-term rentals because of that. Uh, because of the, the saturation, I guess. If you are in a good location, and that location is pretty limited, I mean, something walking distance to where all that music was you were talking about, you're going to be just fine. But you get an Uber ride away, and people are taking hotels instead of STRs these days. They want to be in that, that downtown area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can. That's that's obvious when you're there. I mean, those well, clubs. I will would... say this though: the suburbs, whole different story. We're doing really well on our STRs in the suburbs, which doesn't make any sense. I've always said suburban STRs are like bumblebees. The bumblebees of real estate. You know, bumblebees are not supposed to be able to fly, but they do. Same with suburban STRs. They shouldn't work, but they do. Hmm. Not far suburbs, near suburbs, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I'm saying, uh, well, I mentioned to you, Murfreesboro is the city I live in. We're 30 miles southeast of uh, of Nashville. But, you know, Franklin, Brentwood, any of these suburban markets, it, it's a, it surprises me how well they work. The only explanation I can have, I can offer is things happen in the suburbs where people have to come to them, but there's no hotels there. And this is a better option than having to get a, you know, a no-tell motel on the interstate. Than, and, and driving into your thing that's happening rather than you know, just go ahead and get an STR that's close by. Yeah, that'd be a good, good situation for where we go, where our sponsor is based in uh, Sugar Creek, Ohio. I mean, the ma- number of hotels there is like you could put them on one hand, right? You could count them on one yeah, hand, right? Pretty much. Yeah. And and I bet they're all in the same location, probably right off the highway, right? Yes, exactly yes. right. Yep. Yeah. Where you're going to is not off the highway. Where you're going to, if you're doing a suburban a- 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 event, whatever, a wedding, a graduation, a soccer game, whatever it is, it's not off the highway. It's in town, you know? <laughs> so nobody no, wants to have to stay right. off the highway. You're absolutely right, yeah. And that route, it's the Canton route. We went past Canton to go back to the airport, right? Yeah, the plane, trains, automobiles trip we took. <laughs> we won't go into that, but it was a good time. We had a good time. <laughs> okay. Are there, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the story of the guy that we interviewed is going to be on next week after I ask you this question. Are there values to be had in Tennessee today and where might they be? Yes and no. When I say yes, I'm going to give you a couple of yeses. One, is you're going to see continued appreciation in the metropolitan area of Nashville and its suburbs. We have a lot of rural areas in Tennessee that you're you're, you're going to, they're going to look like values, but they're going to be more difficult to rent, and you're not going to see the appreciation that uh, that you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Second yes is like Memphis. You got that Memphis market that you're going to be able to find cash flow in, but be careful what you're getting in Memphis because you may just be buying somebody's spreadsheet that's 
not as good as it looks. Okay. Um, and you're going to see limited appreciation, but you can actually probably get cash flow in Memphis. If I were buying in Tennessee, I would stick to Nashville the su- or the suburbs around Nashville, Knoxville and the suburbs around Knoxville and Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Uh, oh, you know what? And it, I can't forget Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, and Gatlinburg. Now, the Great Smoky Mountains is the most uh, traveled to national park in the country. And the reason for that is it's very, very close to 75% of our population. So people go to the Smokies all the time. So there's a lot of availability uh, and need for STRs up in that area. So if you're looking to buy an STR, it may be a possibility. However, I do worry about saturation in, in Sevierville and Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg also. Hmm. Uh, there's just so many of them. They they rebuilt a bunch of them after the fires, so so many of them in a really good shape and practically brand new. So they may be a little saturated. That's my feeling about Philly right now too. Okay, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna mention the guy we got come on after you next week, and he was from Dallas, and I I, I put that question: Are there values to be had? in the Dallas area. And he was very, very bullish on the whole market, and he didn't focus on the seller's market there. And he said, yeah, if you go out a little bit from Dallas, like Plano, I'm familiar with Plano. I had a client there years ago. Plano is probably pretty saturated right now and and expensive. But he said, if you, if you travel a little bit outside of the city to Frisco, I don't know exactly how far outside of the city that is, you can get some good deals, like $400,000, you know, for a two-bedroom house. So Dallas is one of those markets that, you know, for young people just starting out might be a good deal. I will readily say I worry about the one-horse towns. There are things that look like values if you go farther out of the suburbs of, like, the Nashville area. Mm -hmm. And none of your audience is going to know these cities, but, like, McMinnville or Pulaski. You know, Clarksville is probably not bad. Uh, It's got an army base there. But I worry about these one-horse towns. What happens when the one horse goes? Um, Well, you got good – excellent point. Excellent point. And as I say, I don't know exactly where Frisco is outside Dallas. It's further out than Plano, I know. But that was his point of view. And he said the market the market's doing really well there. So what what's your best advice for young couples starting out to buy a you know reasonably priced three bedroom house? Sure. First thing that they have to do is get their financial house in order. They need to have means to be able to acquire property today. The reality is in today's market, and this may be a permanent change. Real estate ownership is becoming a luxury. I was listening to an interview with the CEO of Redfin, I believe it was Redfin, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how they have always been the company to, for first-time home buyers and, and the inexpensive type housing. There is no such thing as inexpensive housing anymore. Housing has become a luxury item, so it needs to be sold more like a luxury item now. That means it's going to be the department of the wealthy. And only wealthy people are going to do it. So you've got to create the the revenue to be able to own that property. I suggest having plenty of down payment. Now, this this is not the way I started in this business, by the way. I started on the No Money Down Carlton Sheets programs. That's just not possible anymore. Mm-hmm. Not in most markets anyway. So you've got to have, be more financially secure today than you had to be. But get your financial house in order first. And then by all means, get real estate. There is no better investment. You know, we've talked, I've talked about all the bad things that happened to real estate here in the last recent years, you know, the cash flow being poor and all this kind of stuff. But all that being said, 
there's no investment that has better fundamentals than real estate. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You just touched on a point that Kevin and I talked about when we did an interview. Who was it with? With uh, the people from uh, New Jersey, right? And New York as well, right? Yep. And I said, real estate, I think, is indicative of the situation where we got a bigger divide between the haves and have-nots in this country, you know? And everything you just said just reinforced my feeling about that. I would agree with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, we we may be going back to the days of landlords and peasants. I don't have any idea. But if if we are going back to the days of landlords and peasants, I'd rather be a landlord. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I'll tell you. I got one more question for you. How about a middle-aged couple wanting to move up? Is now the right time? Absolutely. And I know I'm hearing all this stuff about interest rates being too high and stuff like this. But that middle-aged couple probably has a mortgage on their house that's like 5% or less. Fine. Keep it. Let me turn it into a revenue stream for you, and you go get another house. Absolutely. I'm going to build you some wealth. Well, that's that's my thought. You know, if I have to leave my house because of age or whatever, uh, I'm I'm renting my house. There's no way I'm going to get rid of my house. Not going to happen. Yeah. So listen, this has been, uh, this is a home run with bases loaded, Scott. You always put it out of the park. Well, I hope I don't upset your fans, I mean, uh, your your audience here when I say, go Braves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this conversation's over, and thanks again for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. go, Braves, go Braves really worked last night, didn't it? Yes, I know. Yeah. Probably one of the best plays in baseball I've ever seen. And if you feel like you need to edit that, I understand. No, no, no. Hey, look. We, <laughs> is that, are you talking about the home run that guy took away? Oh, yeah, yes, exactly. Five, and then gunned, yeah, 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 gunned yeah, yeah. the guy out at first base. One yeah. of the most amazing plays I've ever seen in baseball. Yeah. Well, this is when you see it. I mean, the adrenaline starts flowing at playoff time, and guys do what guys don't usually do during the season. So Winners always step exactly. up. Yeah. yeah, winners always step up. There you go. Yeah. Scott, this has been wonderful. Thank you very much. You got it, my guy. It's really good to talk to you all. It's always Hi, good talking to you. Always good talking to you. We really appreciate you coming on. Got it. Take all care. right, take care. Right, thanks again, Scott. I all appreciate right. it. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old-world craftsmanship, the Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on Apple Podcasts and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 